Well, hey, good morning. It is so good to get to be together, to worship God this morning together, to open his word and see what he might be speaking to us this morning. Uh, today we're actually bringing to a close our series, uh, The 40 Stories, as we've looked at this summer, the different stories throughout the Bible of these 40-day seasons of where God has entered in uh, or walked people through a journey that they may not necessarily have ever taken or chosen for themselves. And yet somehow by walking through the wilderness, through the pain, through the loneliness, through the turmoil and the upheaval, God present and available every step ends up leading them to the place they always wanted to go, to become the person that they always wanted to be. And so I hope this summer our prayer has been that you would recognize the seasons that God has walked you through and the places that he has met you in the low moments and the struggle to form in you, to move you into maturity as the man or woman he always dreamed you to be. And maybe to recognize the season that you're in and to trust God at a deeper level that even in the difficult seasons, seasons of grief or struggle, that God is present and available and faithfully working for your good and his glory. Amen? So yeah, let's open the Bible together. Let's do what we do. Uh, if you have a Bible, go on and open up to Luke chapter 4. We're actually going to end where we began this series. Luke chapter 4. And uh, if you need a Bible, we got some people walking around. Just slip up a hand. They'll get a Bible in your hand so you can follow along with us. Luke 4. One of the iconic 40-day stories, but we're going to launch from that into making the most of this school year and this season that we're entering. So we have looked at lots of different 40, uh, 40 stories. We said Noah in the ark for 40 days while it rained, the season of renewal through crises. Uh, Moses on Mount Sinai for 40 days, getting revelation for God, from God before leading the people through the wilderness into the promised land. You had uh, Goliath taunting the Israelites for 40 days before God raised up David as their shepherd king to lead them into victory from fear into faith. And you had Elijah fasting for 40 days uh, in this season of, of discouragement and doubt, hiding away as God was leading him in to this next season of releasing his ministry at a greater level. And so we see how God ministered to these, the, these people in those seasons, but also what God was doing in them through those seasons. And so you end up with all that Old Testament imagery in your head coming to the story of Jesus. Jesus having been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, this symbol of return uh, to God and God's purposes and God's plans. God, Jesus identifying with all of humanity in that baptism moment, but also this declaration of identity that the spirit descends on him like a dove and a voice from heaven calls out, this is my son whom I love that core identity that Jesus carried as the son of God as he entered into his ministry. And so Luke 4 begins, you can go and throw that up on the screen there. As I actually open my Bible to the right page. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, 
We'll pause right there because it's interesting that this is how Luke uh, describes this this season of Jesus' life and ministry. Remember, he's just had this epic baptismal moment, this declaration of identity and destiny, God's hand and favor upon him, leading him to begin this three-year ministry that would transform, revolutionize the world like no other event in history. And yet before Jesus would begin his public ministry, full of the Holy Spirit, in the fullness of God, the first place that God leads him is into the wilderness. Have you ever had those moments where you hit a wilderness season, a season of discouragement or struggle, crises, temptation, trial? And the first thought is, God, what did I do wrong? God, surely I misheard you somewhere. Surely, I mean, I, did I miss my identity? Did I miss my calling? Did I, did I misstep somewhere? Did I screw up? God, did you forget about me? Have you abandoned me? Anyone had these thoughts? When we hit struggle, it's easy to assume that we've failed or that God has failed us. And yet here we have Jesus, full of the Spirit, walking in the fullness of his identity in the first place that the Spirit leads is into the wilderness as if there was something in the wilderness God wanted to do in Jesus before releasing what God wanted to do through Jesus to the world. In the same way, the question isn't why in our seasons of difficulty or wilderness or struggle, testing and trial, but what? God, what are you doing? What do you want me to know? And we said that uh, a couple weeks ago, looking at the 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 different kings that each served for 40 years, Saul and then David and then Solomon, how the the way we respond to God in the different seasons of our lives determines the trajectory of our lives so that 40 days become 40 years, seasons become generations. The way we respond to God in the different seasons of our lives determines the trajectory of our lives. But in the same way, the way that we respond to God in the moments of our lives determines the outcome of the seasons. And so we get to the end. After going through the different temptations, Jesus being tempted by the devil when it comes to appetite and approval and ambition, all of the temptations common to humanity. And Jesus rebuking them all with the word of God, turning his face from the temptation of Satan back to the heart and the word of his father, teaching us how to respond to temptation in our own lives. But at the end of it all, it says that when the devil had ended every temptation, he, Satan, departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. That something formed in Jesus through that wilderness testing. But there's an interesting phrase in there, if you want to go to the next slide, that Satan departed until an opportune time. Now, if you've been a part of grace for any extended period of time, you've heard us use this word kairos. Say that with me, kairos. Kairos. Kairos is the Greek word for time, but it's not the only Greek word for time. There's another Greek word. It's chronos. Say that, chronos. Chronos is the time as we think of time. Time is a measurement. It's seconds that become minutes, that become hours, that become days. Time that's measured on a watch is where we get the word chronos, is where we get the word chronology from. 
But Kairos is a whole different thing. And Kairos, when the gospel writers chose to describe the, uh, what, God, what God was doing through Jesus, is the word that they used. Because Kairos is something that is happening, and it says, outside of time. Kairos is uh, this significant moment, a sacred moment. It's almost as if the supernatural is breaking into the natural. In Kairos time, it's almost like Kronos ceases to exist. You've all experienced Kairos moments, these sacred, significant moments of your life. Those of you who are married, thinking about your wedding day. I bet you have no idea how long in seconds and minutes the vows actually took, do you? But you know that something significant was happening. When all of a sudden time was irrelevant. The first time you held that baby, it's as if time stopped. But they're not always, you know, happy or, or you know, these amazing celebration moments. Sometimes they're really hard things. It's the call from a doctor when all of a sudden your to-do list and your tasks and your hourly appointments are no longer relevant because it's all about what he's saying on the other end of the phone. That phone call from a friend. That moment when all of a sudden it feels like everything stops and comes to a point. That kairos, that opportune time. And so we see in this season with Jesus that Satan was waiting until the next kairos, the next opportune moment to try to derail God's plans through Jesus' life and ministry. But it's interesting because another gospel writer uses the exact same word, but in a very different way. So if you go to Mark 1, telling the, the same story from a different angle, you have Jesus having been baptized, being led into the wilderness, uh, coming out of the wilderness, having to, defeated the temptations of Satan and beginning his ministry. And the very first words that Jesus speaks in Mark 1 is he declares, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God and saying, the time... Kairos is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news and the gospel. The Kairos of God, this opportune moment, this sacred event is standing in front of you. The question is, what are you going to do with it? That all of a sudden, it's not that it's Thursday at 2 p.m. and the kingdom of God is at hand. No, this is Kairos moment when the availability of the kingdom of God is staring you in the face. And how will you respond? The, the Greeks, uh, they made gods and goddesses out of every significant, significant concept. And they actually have a god called Kairos. And uh, there's ancient sculptures that you can find. This is, uh, this is the god Kairos, the god of significant moments or divine moments, uh, significant opportunities. And he's, and he's uh, described as being this, this short guy that kind of that must, runs really fast. And he comes rushing at you. And he's got this long tuft of hair in the front, and then he's bald in the back. He's kind of my favorite god, to be honest. <laughs> I identify with that guy. 
But the idea was this, is that Kairos comes rushing at you, this opportune moment, this sacred divine moment. And, and you can grab him as he's coming at you, but once he's passed, you can no longer grab a hold of it. So the idea with them, with the Greeks, was this idea of grab these sacred moments as they're coming. And so, so, so Jesus, or Mark, describing what's happening in Jesus, uh, uses this word kairos to describe what God is doing in that moment. The kingdom of God available to you and the reality of the kingdom of God is that God is always present. The eternal word is always speaking. It's not that Kairos moments happen maybe once in a lifetime. It's that Kairos moments are always happening. The question is, do we have eyes to see them and faith to respond? Like even right now, in this moment, God knows exactly what's happening in your life. He knows what baggage you carried into this room. He knows what happened this week, what happened last night, the fight you had this morning. He knows what you're worried about for tomorrow. He knows your life better than you know it. He knows what's going on in your heart and your head, and he has a word for you right now. The kairos of God for you. The kingdom of God at hand in Jesus. That, God, that Jesus knew God was doing a completely new thing. That no longer was God going to be distant and far away, interacting with only certain individuals at certain times. But the Spirit of God, through Jesus Christ, after the cross and the resurrection, will be poured out for all people everywhere. And no longer is it these rare moments that we hear from God, but God invites us into a life where we're constantly walking with him, hearing from him, the way he designed us to live all the way back in the Garden of Eden. So at 6 a.m. as you're driving to work, the word of God speaking into your life. At Tuesday at three, as your kids are coming home from school, on Wednesday at five, that conversation with your spouse, that fight with your teenager, that hard conversation with your boss, that the word of God available to you in Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit, the Kairos moment of God, where the chronology of your life is no longer relevant, but what God is doing in that moment for you, available, the kingdom of God at hand. And that's good news. That's good news. That's what we get invited into, not just this heaven one day when we die, though praise the Lord, we get that too. But the availability of the kingdom of heaven now with us as we walk through this broken world and our messed up lives, a God who speaks into the brokenness, who brings freedom in our bondage, who forgives and releases and empowers, who sees you right now where you are. And at 11.22 a.m. on Sunday, July 30th, the God of this universe, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who knew every day of your life before one of them came to pass, who sees you and knows you and loves you, has a word for you. Can you receive the Kairos moment of God for your life right now? Right now. It's a whisper and a question away. God, God, what do you want me to know? What are you doing? What do you want me to see? How are you inviting me to respond? You know, God knows your life better than you do. 
I think about this in regards to all these educators getting ready for their school year ahead. God also knows every one of those second graders better than you do. He knows exactly what they dealt with when they left the house that morning, what they're going home to after school. Those JV football players, God knows exactly what's going on in their hearts, the questions they're asking, the doubts and the fears that they have. Those kids that get on your bus, God knows every one of them as they step in. And not just educators, oh, praise the Lord, those that are investing in the next generation, that God is making available the kingdom of God through them for the sake of this world, but also every one of your jobs. You know, God invented this world. So he knows it way better than we do. He knows how to turn sand into iPhones, how to turn wind into power. God knows how to, uh, how to address the issue your coworker or your employee is facing. He knows how to strategize for the future of your company. God knows how to engineer an engine that can make it to Mars. We have access to the God, the creator, the maker of all things. So whether you are a plumber, an engineer, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom, there's a God that knows exactly what you need and is just waiting to walk with you and to whisper in your ear what you need to know. The Kairos moment at hand, the kingdom of God at hand. Some of you are like, okay, that's a nice thought. But Paul actually gives uh, the sense of expectation and even how to respond, and actually in a couple of his letters, but we're going to look at one specifically. If you flip to Colossians chapter 4, as he's finishing up this letter that he's writing to this church, about how to live in the fullness of God through Jesus. He closes his letter with these words and starting in uh, chapter four, verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer or be earnest in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And that word there, make the best use of the time, isn't saying make the best use of your hours, maximize your minutes, plan your day well. It's the word kairos. Make the most of... Make the best use of the kairos, the sacred, opportune, divine moments of God. Make the most of every opportunity. So what does he say here? Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be earnest in, continuous, steady, persistent in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, this whole idea of kairos actually changes for me the way that I even view prayer. Because for a long time, I understood prayer to be sort of a one-way conversation. Me telling God what he needs to know. Anyone else? 
God, here's my laundry list of things that I need you to fix in my life. Here's the things I'm struggling with. Here's the things I'd like to see. God, if you could just take this out, you may not know about this, God, but let me make sure you know what a jerk my neighbor is. Right? But this changes things from this one-way conversation to this two-way interaction with a living God by his Holy Spirit. A God who speaks, who, as we said, already knows. It's not like we're telling God anything he doesn't know. As if he's like, oh, praise the Lord, you told me about that. I had no idea that was happening. Although I guess he would never say that. I mean, praise myself. There's, I didn't know that that was happening. But be watchful with thanksgiving. Eyes open, awake to the things that God is doing. So we wake up in this morning, in, in the, each morning, with this expectation that God is at work. And He's been working way longer than you have. He's been at work while you were sleeping. He's been working in the people's lives that you encounter for decades. And He's going to continue to work long after you're gone. And he's way more faithful and persistent than you are. But he invites you in. Be watchful. Keep your eyes open. Be awake to the things that God is doing. As we enter into this school year, what would it look like if we just woke up going, all right, God, thanks for waking me up this morning. What do you want me to know? What do you want me to know? What do you have for me today? God, what would be a win for you today? What's on your mind or what's on your heart? Will you just call it to mind? Even if it feels random or out of place? God, what do you want me to know? What's going on in me? That first question that God asked Adam, where are you? Where are you, Brian? All right, God, where am I this morning? Where's my heart? Where am I feeling lost or lonely, insecure or struggling? God, this is where I am. But awake, watchful, with thanksgiving. I know in my own life, I'm way quicker to be watchful and name the problems and the struggles and the difficulties and the things that aren't going the way that they are than for me to be watchful and aware and name the blessings and the good things that are happening all around me. And how many of you saw the sunrise this morning? It was gorgeous. It was absolutely beautiful. So I just sit there and say, like, God, thank you. God, thank you that I'm taking this breath right now. God, thank you for the blessings that you've placed into my life. Thank you that you see me, that you're with me. Be watchful and thanksgiving. And then he continues. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. It's actually a subclause in the Greek to the first command to pray earnestly. It's like pray earnestly, uh, God awake and aware in thanksgiving, and then pray earnestly for us that the gospel would advance. It's like God moves from introspection. God, what do you want me to know? What are you doing in me? What do you want me to be aware of? To intercession. God, what are you doing out there in the world? What do you want to release through me? How do you want to move and transform and redeem and set free? And what is it that Paul asked him to pray for? That God would open a door for the word. That the mystery of Christ, of God's love revealed in Jesus, God's grace and forgiveness because of the cross and the resurrection would be proclaimed. God, open a door. 
watchful, aware, thankful. God, where are you at work? What doors are you opening? And how are you inviting me to step into it this year, this week, this morning? And I love that he includes this little phrase, on account of which I'm in prison. It's interesting that nowhere does Paul pray that he would get out of prison. Like if I was just writing, writing this letter, I'd be like, okay, pray that God would open the door of my jail cell. But he never even mentions it because he doesn't see his circumstances as a hindrance to what God is gonna do, but his circumstances as an invitation to God doing something. And how often do our prayers consist of God change my circumstances? But instead, God, in the circumstances I find myself, how are you inviting me to be faithful? How are you opening doors for your gospel? God, I hate my job. What do you want me to know? Will you open doors for your gospel in this place? God, I'm struggling with my family. What do you want me to know? Will you open doors for your gospel in these relationships? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. That language there is of those outside the kingdom, those that don't yet know the love and the grace of Jesus. Making the best use of the most of every kairos. Then he moves from walk to talk. What you do to what you say, that it's not one or the other, but it's both together. Walking in the awareness of God with us, living as God invites us to live. Then let your speech always be gracious or full of grace. Let me just pause right there and let the word speak into our lives. Thinking about the last 48 hours, how full of grace has your speech been? And what is grace? The undeserved free gift of God. Forgiveness, mercy, kindness, belonging, acceptance, love. Let your conversation be full of grace. Seasoned with salt. I love that phrase. In ancient times, salt had three primary uses. It was used to preserve food. It was used to sterilize or clean. And it was used to flavor. I think about like potato chips. Salt makes people thirsty. Let your speech make people thirsty. But there's one other use of salt that the Bible is explicit about. It's actually in Leviticus 2, uh, talking about how to make an acceptable offering to God. And um, God gives this law that you shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So in other words, may your speech, the words that you use, be full of grace and acceptable offering to God. And in a world of angry reaction, fearful division, slander and backbiting, gossip, 
and cursing. Jesus invites us into a whole different way of life. To be awake with thanksgiving, to see the world differently. To speak with grace and life. That our words and not just our walk point to the goodness of a God who is at hand, available and present for each and every one of us in each and every moment. What is the kairos of God for you? And do we have eyes to see and faith to respond to what God is doing right in front of us?